Okay, it is looking like we are live. Uh, oh, we might have lost Sesh, though. Oh, no. I hear her. I'm here. Okay, we can't see you, though, but uh, uh, we can we can hear you. Um, and we already have somebody in the audience, so we're going to get started. So, uh, Sesh, are you uh, ready despite uh, playing with your <laughs> webcam? I am, and I can see my frozen face. It's, it's great. Terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> Black that out. <laughs> All right, Maria, are you ready? Oh, yeah. I promise I'm awake, guys. <laughs> okay. Then in five, four, three, two. Hello, all you Sprite tubers, Twitchers, and pod people out there. Welcome to the Could You Do It Better podcast. We're filmmaker, gamer extraordinaire, and the behind-the-scenes awesomeness known as Sesh and the writing and directing sensation known as Maria. Discuss popular television shows and movies and answer the always controversial question of, could you do it better? Today, we will be discussing episode eight of season one of Ryan Condal's House of the Dragon television series, based upon George R.R. R. Martin's novel, Fire and Blood. And as for me, I'm Jonathan the Intern, and unlike our two experts, have no industry experience whatsoever. In other words, I'm much like the Stepstones, where each time you think you're finally done hearing about me, I somehow manage to pop up each episode without any logic, rationality, or setup with dialogue that reminds you of a massive crab infestation. And now, to Sesh and Maria! Woo! That's so true, but... Oh, man. All right, it looks like we are ready to go. We're still having some webcam problems from Sesh, but uh, I think we're just going to go ahead and get uh, get started. She's she's going through a dungeon right now. And... Yeah. The blood's I mean, pouring yeah, slowly. Technical difficulties. Uh, picture up. <laughs> no problem. Um, all right, so uh, spoiler warning. Uh, in this episode, we will be doing a detailed recap of episode eight of the House of the Dragon TV series that will contain spoilers throughout. So if you haven't watched this episode and don't want to hear spoilers before you do, please feel free to put us on mute as you watch the episode, then rewatch our show afterwards, because that's how you double your view counts. And now, on to the recap as mandated by our legal department. Cold enter on Castle Driftmark, who knows how many years into the future, where we learn Corliss has been missing for over six years due to getting his throat slash and a fever. Apparently, throat slash and fever are Westerosi for a pack of cigarettes and a carton of milk. Corliss's brother Vaymond informs Rhaenys his hiney is best served polishing the wooden throne because it's Valerian made. Rhaenys tells him that it's not <clears throat> strong enough. <laughs> Over to Damon splunking the misty mountaintops where he finds three dragon eggs to put in the oven. Based on the cut to a pregnant belly, I can only assume the oven is Rhaenyra's womb. Damon and Rhaenyra then repeat Vaymon's and Rhaenys' convo just in case viewers forgot what they watched two minutes earlier. Damon and Rhaenyra arrive in King's Landing to be given the same no-one's-home shade used at Castle Drift Mark a whole two episodes ago. The dialogue then reiterates this to make sure viewers know this clear slight is indeed a slight. Over to the Queen. 
Allison led small council meeting where it's pointed out that Rhaenyra is being purposefully slighted because the legitimacy of her kids are in question. Holy hell, writing staff. That's three times in 15 minutes. Just because we may be masochists for watching this show, it doesn't mean the viewers can't see, read, or hear what's going on. Enter King Viserys' chambers, where Rhaenyra introduces her dad to her additional sons, Aegon and Viserys. Yeah, I'm sure this will only ease the confusion of similarly named characters. Also, Viserys looks just a bit different, as they must have caught him right after auditioning in the Tales from the Crypt reboot as a young Crypt Keeper. Over to the Queen's Chambers, where she's informed her son Aegon sexually assaulted a serving girl. Her solution? Well, pay the girl off, give her morning after tea, and force her to take a vow of silence. Ugh. On to Aegon's chamber, she goes to yell at him for committing sexual assault yet again, despite having a wife and children. Yeesh. And then over to Alicent and Rhaenyra having yet another tiff about succession that ends as quickly as it started. Now, to Jason Luke, getting stared at for not being blonde-haired, and Kristen Cole sparring with Aemon, who looks as though he's aged over 20 years since we've last seen him, whereas everyone else aged 5 to 8. Except for Kristen Cole, who might have gotten younger, we're not sure. Also, Aemon apparently conveniently inherited his uncle Damon's Naruto speed, thanks to yet another 2x camera speed shot. It's at this point, though, that Vaymond arrives, making the argument that he, a grown man, is more fit to lead the Royal Navy than the prepubescent Luke. I'd agree, but then I remember his laughably bad military strategy in the Stepstones of having a single man take on an entire guerrilla army as a last-ditch attempt to win a losing three-year war that pit his dragons and half the Royal Fleet against a guy with a hammer not named Thor. <laughs> Skip to Rhaenyra, telling Rhaenys she didn't kill her son, and offering Rhaenys' Skip to Rhaenyra, telling Rhaenys she didn't kill her son, and offering Rhaenys Luke's hand in marriage to her granddaughter Bela if she accepts Luke's claim to Driftmark. Rhaenys is like, you made your own bed, sweetie. May you lie in it like your dad. Attempting to divine... Yeah, yeah, I know. It was harsh. Attempting to divine her fate. Rhaenyra has one final talk with her dad about the Game of Thrones prophecy, asking him to defend her and her children as he quietly passes away. <laughs> Rest in peace, Viserys. Rest in peace. Oh, never mind. Viserys is back up again. This guy really is a White Walker. On to the kangaroo court, presided by Otto the Hand in the king's name, where Vaymon contends he's got the true blood, unlike Sookie's boy over there. It all seems well and done when ad hoc interruptus, King Viserys, in full crab feeder mask attire, uh, enters to everyone's surprise and ascends the Iron Throne one final time with the assistance of caring Doctor Who. Well, maybe. Remarkably, King Viserys delivers a regal performance, reminding the parties the matter was already settled by Corlys, and after Rhaenys, seeing the tides had indeed turned on the high towers, proclaimed Corlys's will never changed, and Luke is the rightful heir. Vaymond, incensed, does the best thing one can do in court in such a circumstance, calling the king's grandchildren bastards and the king's daughter a whore. <laughs> 
The king calls for his tongue, and Damon's like, uh, is that the top of the head? <laughs> Question mark. King Viserys exit. Over to Damon's autopsy, because the maesters are unsure of cause of death. <laughs> now on to the family dinner. Viserys unmasks, making an impassioned last speech. Maybe. Stating that he loves everyone and wishes they put aside their grievances once and for all. If not for the crown, then for his diseased, pus-ridden, whole-filled corpse of a body. Rhaenyra apologized to the queen and thanks her for caring for her dad. Alicent apologizes for mom-shaming and calls Rhaenyra an excellent queen. Aegon attempts to provoke Jace through rapey creepiness, but Jace shows the self-control of a character, definitely not from this show, and toasts his uncles. Also, Aegon apparently married his sister Helena, so there's that as well. <laughs> Play the jaunty music as the king dies happily. M maybe. Never mind. The king leaves, and the now roasted pink dread enters. Luke can't let it be and laughs at Aemon. Aemon toasts the boys for being strong. Get it? Eh, let him repeat it a few more times, just to make sure. <laughs> a fight ensues. All the children are sent to the rooms without supper. Rhaenyra promises Alicent a private dragon ride later. And Otto is unamused. We end with the king thinking Alicent is Rhaenyra and telling her the song of ice and fire prophecy is true. Alicent claims she understands, which must be nice, as I sure don't. This episode is brought to you by Dragon Spackle Industries. Some people, some people think respect can be bought. That their daddy's money and plastic surgery entitled them to command others. Posers, yeah, you ain't no snowflake. You know respect is earned in battle scars treated only by cold beer and the dirt you rubbed on it while getting back to your shift. For those fingers lost in the drill press, that leg in the thresher, that piece of rebar through the skull, and even that time you lost your eye protecting your family from family. Here at Dragon Spackle Industries, we offer you a fast-acting silicone spackle that immediately bonds with your skin and plugs up those wounds, creating a bleed-proof seal. All for less than the cost of a six-pack. That's Dragon Spackle Industries, where beauty ain't some Botox injection. It's Spackle. Back to you, Sesh and Maria. I will now not be able to talk for the rest of the episode, but thank you, Legal. I think if the Macers didn't use Dragon Spackle, maybe he would have uh, gotten a little better. <laughs> There's got to be a lot of disease of dragon spackle. <laughs> disease paste. <laughs> Maybe band-aids. Anyway, uh, question number one. Did the uh, children focus scenes, i.e. Aegon and Diana, Jace and Luke, add depth and meaning to the overall story? Um, I, I guess I can start with this one. Sure. Um, well, aside from the most basic of character traits or character building, I really didn't see it. I mean, all I got from it was Aegon is now no longer just a maniacal dick. He's also a serial rapist maniacal dick and married to his sister. 
Uh, Luke yeah. and Jace are looked down upon as bastards, which we already knew. And Amond has an axe to grind and may snap it any minute, which we knew. So really, the only additional character development of the children we saw in this episode was Jace, who appears to have grown into a decent man with the willingness and discipline to lead a kingdom, maybe. So while I, uh, you know, and, and if we break it down into individual scenes, you know, I thought the Luke and Jace being stared at by everyone scene was unnecessary due to all the dialogue that already talked about it at length. Uh, but I think that the scene could have been fine in lieu of dialogue where you get to see how they looked upon as outsiders unfit for their titles. As for the Egg and Diana scenes though, I'm, I'm at a complete loss. We already know Egan is an awful human being from, from prior episodes. Uh, are we supposed to get from this that Alson's is similarly a monster who enables Aegon? Cleaning up his messes, you know, knows he's completely unfit to rule, and yet later warps what the king is saying while high on pain meds and dying to believe Aegon is some savior or leader? Or is it to show how awful it is that even to this day, women are dissuaded from reporting sexual assault by similar means? A long time was spent on this compared to other scenes, and I just don't see how it actually adds anything to the story. It's almost as though this was written just to be a social issue talking point with no relation to the story or context, which in my opinion usually makes it difficult for the topic to be rationally and intelligently discussed, which is just never a good sign. So uh, big no from me. Um, what, do you, what do you think? What's your input on this one, Sash? I mean, that's uh, definitely good ending remarks there. I, I will echo that, despite not having thought that myself. Um, <laughs> but real, yeah, you, you put that very well. Um, yeah, I, I still don't have a good gauge of the kids and their personalities for the most part. There are a couple of standouts. The girls are quiet. One of the brunette boys seems nice, but I'm not actually sure if he was the sand thrower or eye slasher. <laughs> like the one's son is a literal jack off who, despite how much he has been slapped around, I am shocked that I feel as though he has not been hit enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually not my stance, so you know, <laughs> laughing, but somehow this kid. Um, not, not, knife fights, <laughs> knife fights, and beat your kids. That is Sasha's. Sasha's. <laughs> Just this kid. Um, I mean, did, have you seen, come on, the stuff he's doing, oh yeah, he deserves some slap around. Um, um, and we have our one-eyed dragon rider, who is the new baby Damon, um, that's also definitely 25 years old, and is the hardest of all the recastings we've seen. Um, we're still at, like, episode one levels of character development for them, and I'm assuming they're all going to be important, since this is a story of succession. But I'm I'm not so sure we're going to get to them right as much as they need us to. Um, and also for being a story of succession and everyone all mad about the bastards and the bloodlines. Like literally all of these kids in question have Targaryen blood. Like there's been minimal mention of their future leadership responsibilities. I'm just not sure yet if the show is going to take the going to time skip that far ahead or if we're actually going to get the chance to spend time on people that the show desperately needs to show us. 
like I'd, I'd like to know more about who these kids are like e- e- even the awful ones just you know as part of the show yeah yeah for me like the question's a hard one to answer when i'm still unsure of what the goal of the show is like is it show us how hard it is to raid a, gag- a gaggle of kids and make them marry each other in a medievalish type setting if that <laughs> is the purpose then yes if it is any other thing, like who should be on the throne, then no. Simply because at this point, we already know none of the children are mature enough to rule a kingdom. We already established their character traits and paternity issues. The story at this point should be focused on the imaginations people have toward the throne and any kind of manipulations going on along with political issues, wrapping those things up, to me, would make the interest of the story drive. I, I like that take. A medieval version of The Sims, really. <laughs> I play it. <laughs> uh, whose sister are you? Let's get married. Anyway, uh, question number two. The interjection of the religion symbolism, I'm sorry, religious symbolism of the seven in this episode seems a bit abrupt. Where and how could this have been introduced better? I'm going to start this one off. So, There are two or three episodes focused on Allison's coming into her own power, and even her father was encouraging her to embrace that power. This episode, another 10 years later, where she basically gave that power over to religion, feels like an anti-arc. It would make sense if it was built up along with her character development. Like, for example, if at every step of the way she had a religious figure there influencing her and swaying her life view, and not just her father, who doesn't seem to be a religious fanatic. So in this world, it seems she is embracing religion in a total vacuum. That gives the feel to me of another abrupt and poorly thought out character shift to serve a short-term goal instead of long, careful planning. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember this being introduced way back in episode one, after Rhaenyra's mom died and Allison's father telling Allison to seduce the king. And, mm-hmm. and there was that scene where Elson got Rhaenyra to pray with her and the sept. And then it just wasn't talked about or mentioned for, for another seven episodes. Right. So like you said, I, I'm not sure the context or, or meaning it's supposed to have or, or why it's important. As the show hasn't even remotely tried setting this up until now. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even sure how to set this up properly as I don't even know what importance this has to the characters or show other than what happened in Game of Thrones far, far down the line. If it's to show that Allison believes in morals and ethics and doing the right thing, whereas nobody else does, it's pretty clear she's not following them. So is this another way to show her as a hypocrite? If, if so, the show would need to have shown her using and warping religion as a means to getting what she wants and to her own self-interest over the course of several episodes, gradually increasing in severity, much like they did with Cersei and the High Sparrow in in Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, this could just be them trying to write Alicent as as too nice a character, uh, because I'm not sure what they're doing here. It's confusing. It's Mm -hmm. really confusing. Uh, What's your take on this one, Sash? Uh, 
it was like partly okay. <laughs> Namely, like I, I think it being abrupt felt like that was like part of the point. Um, I would have liked some kind of foreshadowing though, like you guys have said, um, as part of the character development. But maybe that's just because I haven't like read the books and I don't know if Allison's house is the religious type to begin with. Um, I don't think we really saw that. Um, like if the king was into it, maybe, which being at the end of his life could have been a um, direction that would have been kind of natural for him. Um, especially if his wife brought it to him while he's, you know, basically on his deathbed. But nah, it it really was her own thing, which was weird since we've never seen it um, being her thing before. It's not like a big aspect of her personality, at least. Like, I mean, again, I like unless I'm missing something, I'm not sure if it's going to be relevant at all. This seems more just like some... Uh, some more of their way to show that there's painting on the walls that her and her dad have taken charge. But we, I think, really clearly already understood that without here's the symbolism of this thing they supposedly are into. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. So number three, was Rhaenyra's behavior toward Rhaenys and Alicent politically savvy? What strategy could she have done better? Yeah, um, I mean, if we're talking about this episode alone, so just this episode in a vacuum, I'd say she did just enough to push her into the having political savvy category, albeit in a reeking of desperation sort of way. Um, however, much of the political moves she made in this episode uh, were last minute attempts to recover from her own political blunders. I mean, let's start with Rainus. Last episode, Rhaenyra wanted everyone to believe she murdered Rhaenys' son so she could marry Daemon and gain notoriety from that. Mm -hmm. So what did she get out of this? Well, Daemon, a dragon that Daemon rides, and the hostility she wanted. So here we are now around six to ten years later, which, mind you, they didn't actually say exactly. Uh, she basically comes on hands and knees to Rhaenys, telling her she didn't actually kill her son and asking her to legitimize Luke's claim to the throne uh, that Rhaenys is currently sitting on in exchange for marrying Luke to her granddaughter? I mean, talk about coming from a position of weakness. And weaker still is the fact that if the kingdom views Rhaenyra's kids as bastards having no claim to either the Iron or Sandalwood throne, then the marriage offer of Luke is completely worthless anyways. So, as such, Rhaenys was correct in telling Rhaenyra, no, she'll do what's in her own best interest. So, why does this get a passing grade for Rhaenyra for me? Well, it allowed her to plant the seed in Rhaenys' mind that Rhaenys could pretty much call her own shot, and Rhaenyra would almost have to accept. Rhaenyra basically did the turtle defense, where you try making the attacker feel guilty for trying to beat you up by not fighting back. Um, you know, which works so long as you aren't up against somebody who's ruthless and wants to kill you. As for Rhaenyra's handling of Alicent, insulting <laughs> someone's religion, home decor, <laughs> and how they treat their husband within two minutes of entering their house, yeah, that, that likely isn't the best way to win someone over. <laughs> but being able to stand up and thank her for caring for her dad you know, that felt big and puts to bed, honestly, a lot of issues and, and long-term resentment that they had. So, again, 
Savvy enough moves from Rhaenyra, in my opinion. They barely crossed the threshold into Savvy, but she got just enough done. Um, yeah, okay, so... <laughs> I, I think Ray Ray was heavily depending on accusations and pawning her children for security. I mean, the children and security angle is a strong one, but it just feels like immature problem-solving skills. I also think her approach with Damon to Alicent after all these years was short-sighted. She focuses only on herself and her worries, but doesn't really take the time to see where other people are at psychologically. Yes, her father's kingdom looks like a sept. Maybe take a scene to ponder what could be up with Alicent and the hand for such a thing to transpire and use that for how she speaks with Alicent. Appeal to her sense of religion instead of just busting in with insults. Yeah. Yeah, as any guy who has ever been in a relationship knows, as soon as some guest you have starts insulting the home decor, <laughs> you you are in big trouble. You're going to be hearing about that for weeks, if not months or years. So. You're right. That's not uh, good political moves at all. <laughs> what do you think? It's kind of just a general rudeness um like i think i mean it's just so like at best like okay like i mean for example like i still think like ray ray should have told uh um uh, reyes about the truth about her son like it you know and it happened so many years ago too and obviously like them feuding isn't gonna help ray ray and her plans like they even sort of established that that was like the lines that were crossed in the sand and they were on their side. And then this immediately sent a rift there, like within the same episode. So I, I just, I do really wish that they, they would have talked about that. Cause like Reyes would have taken that secret to her grave. She would have been fine that her son was happy and alive somewhere rather than being put in this dangerous position. Um, she would have had no grudges with Ray. She would have had no grudges with Damon. She would have been a stronger ally. Um, I mean, I'm not sure the, about the rest of his relatives, uh, like the uncle or father. Um, but overall, honestly, their political plans—it's like not bad. It just feels like they're doing an okay job at setting things up to not have wars or fights until the kids are grown up, and then that generation is going to try to kill each other. Like everything just seems like pretty—it's like kind of fair arrangements, even if desperate, as even if there's not like a lot in consideration, and a lot of people aren't really winning that much, which. I mean, that might be basically the best outcome for most of these people, though. Yeah. Our next question is, why does Alicent now seem more like a wallflower than the buildup of the previous episode, essentially showing her arc being a rise in volatility and power? I'm going to start with this one. Alicent, even having found religion, should still be more of a force to be reckoned with than she is at this point. She's had 10 years of essentially unrivaled power at her fingertips, and she basically has no idea who anyone is who works directly under her. Having to ask people's names and just chasing her son around, trying to clean up his messes. If she did get into religion, you would think she would have a man of the cloth constantly, you know, whipping her kids, not allowing for any sass. Uh, she would be channeling her power to spread her faith or grow her influence not just looking sad and unsure of herself in spite of having every opportunity to have self-assuredness. She should have been an entirely empowered grown woman who would have been, who would have put Rhaenyra in her place. I, I think they showed a religious 
figure or two that might have greeted Rhaenyra in the beginning, but they did not make that clear in their dialogue or mannerisms if they were trying to say that that is what she's doing, but they don't actually show her doing that. So. Yeah, you know, I, I agree uh, with in a lot of respects because I, I, too, I think it's a really odd choice. The showrunners and directors, they kept talking about her being empowered and finally arriving so much the last few episodes yeah. that it was truly bizarre seeing her not only have no control over her castle, aside from, again, the home decor, <laughs> but also not bothering to know any of the staff and their responsibilities, nor making any decisions in the episode, and instead ceding those responsibilities to her dad, the hand. For her not to gain any skills or influence in the 10 years we've last seen her to instead spend her time trying to clean up after her kids' messes, as, as Maria said, it shows no alignment whatsoever with the previous episode's attempts to build her character. I mean, I know I just don't get who this character is supposed to be. Is she a simple pawn for her dad and dad duplicate Laris? Or is she an emotional, bratty hypocrite with, with no aspirations other than, than, say, being a mom? And there's nothing wrong with being a mom, but I, it, it just doesn't make sense how they set up her character. Yeah. And I, I don't know, may, maybe both. It, it's like they threw her character sheet in the blender <laughs> and, and went with something new this episode because, uh, you know, new writer. <laughs> what, what do you think, Sash? Yeah, it's very contradictory. Like, I mean, like, first off, like I said, her lashing out violently previously felt out of character. Um, like, this is kind of more her, but, like, it's still it's still off. Like, thinking about it, like, now, like, I guess she's in, like, a cozy space in life. Her and her dad are running things. She's probably not being called to the chambers for late-night sex anymore, probably, <laughs> which is probably why she is a she might be in great spirits because of that because yeah he's uh she never enjoyed that and uh even though there um a lot of people encroaching on her rule and her queenship by the end of the dinner scene i had this sense that maybe she doesn't want to be in the line of succession since she hates her oldest son so much and knows he will be even more terrible in charge um, I mean, I could be wrong about that aspect, but yeah, for her, the biggest woe is that, you know, one monster of a kid, but she has this other weird one that, you know, didn't turn out so bad. Um, I mean, I'm once again, a little vague on what the arc for her is going to be. She's taking a step back from plotting. I don't see her going down the mastermind of playing the Game of Thrones. I was kind of hoping for like they just keep going in one direction and taking a step back with her so yeah <sighs> again <laughs> yeah so crazy kyle has has a take on this one um that it that it shows uh, her kindness of of a mother um and and that uh shows uh what life of multiple children can can bring you to huh. which hey. you know again it's a take but but as I said, I think they would have needed to set that up just a little bit more in, in previous episodes. I mean, they did a she's, little bit. She but... seemed to not really enjoy motherhood very much. She seemed to kind of like, oh, what a drag is, is what it seemed. Like. Even when she was holding her very young baby, she was just like, oh, man, I'm holding, you know. Yeah, it was very much a chore for her. And honestly, like, I mean, we really haven't. I, I think all of her kids aren't, aren't so good. Like, <laughs> at best, there's something we don't know that's wrong with the girl. 
spider girl and the boys are both mm, scary yeah i'm confused why they just decided to marry those two that was weird to me but i yeah. guess we'll find out more later with that yeah well probably not uh, <laughs> <laughs> skipped over it i mean yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um okay so uh, th th thanks for the question by or, or yes. uh, input by the way uh, uh kyle uh warren we'll get to your question a little bit later in the in the show uh question number five is a king a father a grandsire how much influence does he really have or is his power all an illusion i'm going to start with this one i think the only influence he has is really in name the fact that he had a pulse and was positioned as the king he served as a wedge between the kingdom and all-out war no one meal would change that in my mind. I, I don't even particularly believe his last words to Allison were all that powerful in that she would have found another reason or sign that her children should be in power. Because at this point, psychologically, she believes she is owed. She has long suffered taking care of the king and having no real life of her own. She's bitterly disappointed in her children. She spends her days in boring meetings. And the only thing she has found meaning in is, is religion. Uh, that is a recipe to me for a person looking for a prophetic sign to wipe away all of the unfair feelings and prove to her life has meaning and she is duly rewarded. What better sign than to believe her rapist son is the healer of the le and leader of the world? I mean, as oh, no, <laughs> I mean, she wants to see like, you know what? This can't be this bad. There's got to be better. As far as the grandchildren and children go, they really... Um, have not bonded with Viserys and are focused on their own kid issues and desires. Uh, he never took the time to get to know anyone but Rhaenyra, who really only goes to him for what she needs, but never considers what he needs. So because he never developed a knowledge of each of his family members' personalities, wants, and desires, and then never took that knowledge to help teach and raise them, no matter how skeletal he becomes, <laughs> the shock and pity that could bring out some of them will only last as long as the meal. Mm -hmm. Those are my thoughts. What do you think, Sash? Yeah, I mean, in a way, like, he's never had much, despite being the king. Um, people just do what they want or manipulate him, so not much has changed there. Um, no, like, he's, uh, he's definitely been more in charge in the past, but people also openly disrespect him his orders literally the premise of the show is people not accepting that he made ray ray his heir like they're just waiting for him to die like everyone is just showing him face but then ready to go against his wishes when he's dead and it's kind of an open secret um so however i will point out for the dinner scene he did great he got an emotional reaction from those closest to him I felt like the family did actually care, not the kids, but the, you know, the older generation. <laughs> and they uh, respected him for a few moments there. Um, his power has been pretty brittle, but I, I think with the right title as king or ruler, um, others are going to use that title better. Yeah, Maria getting some uh, some love from the uh, chat for her response there. Uh, right. Thanks, means, Chad. I appreciate it. Yeah, which means they're <laughs> going to hate mine. So, um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I'd actually say he he has a remarkable amount of power and influence. He just simply doesn't want it or, or use it. I mean, within each of the episodes, when he does finally conjure up the energy or frustration or whatever it is to speak, he does seem to have everyone's ear. 
and the court and people do respect him as king. It also shows that while he has been disastrous as far as his decision-making goes, he does have both the charisma and respect to invoke his will. Now, the problem is that Viserys just wants to be a dude following the Grateful <laughs> Dead or, or fish on tour talking about <laughs> prophecies and history while taking his um, uh, calming medicinals, you know, maybe maybe playing some D&D on the side. You know, he he doesn't want to do his kingly duties. He, <laughs> doo-doos, yes. He just, he just wants to live in peace, love, and harmony, man, you know, but... That means that more manipulators and people who have aspirations of grandeur and power, they fill those voids that he constantly leaves. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. Viserys does have all the power and influence he wants, but because he doesn't want it, his influence is very narrow, myopic, and really will only cause issues after, after his death. And, and I, I like the uh, point that Sash made also about how he did have a really powerful scene there that, you know, if anything could have brought some emotion, that that was it. He, he did a good job there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. So far, in my opinion, best scene of the uh, of the uh, of the show. Yeah, probably. Any so more comments? Our next question of the evening is. Did Sir Vayman make a good point? Should he have used the B word in front of everyone? And did he expect a different outcome? Sash, you want to get us started? I mean, I think his ego was actually big enough where he thought somebody would back up what he was saying. Uh, I mean, mostly it's just that he's clearly a guy who thinks he's right about everything. He is not like his brother. He's a hothead. Uh, we, we've seen him snap and make hasty judgment calls and say things out of line before. So he definitely didn't think about it uh, much at all, if at all. Um, so again, the kids, they, they still had Targaryen blood. So him being pissy about his bloodline not passing on isn't going to be something a room filled with Targaryens will be sympathetic to. He definitely should have handled it different, even <laughs> if he, he wanted to throw around the B word. Um, also, can, can he have kids? Maybe he should have asked for a wife. Like, <laughs> there's so many other better solutions. And also, the man worked with Damon for years and still let the man sneak up on him. Like these are not right moves on his part. Like the only interesting thing I can I can imagine coming from all this is if um, Damon and Ray Ray, um, you know, like if. Um, Let's see, how, how would I word this? Like, so if, like, would they, if they would be, let's see, I'm trying to remember the name. Oh, yeah. So the thing that would be interesting is if um, Cyrus, his brother, is still alive, and then he has feelings about this towards Damon killing him, as he did in front of everyone. I think that might be something that's interesting, but because they set it up that they already think, you know, this couple killed their son, like serious. And like, maybe he's just going to stay mad at them. Like just for another reason, like this is actually giving them a real reason to be mad at that, that couple. Yeah. What do you think, Jonathan? 
Um, in my opinion, I mean, I think he certainly has a good point in feeling that his family name, his family estate, and even his heritage and legacy in some ways are being stolen from him and his family. So to me, it is understandable he's sour about it. However, as Sesh said, he makes the fundamental error that a lot of public speakers have in not knowing or understanding his target audience. Somehow, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Somehow, Veyman channels his inner Ned Stark and thought the best way to handle this situation was to travel to Rhaenyra's daddy's court in Rhaenyra's daddy's kingdom and call Rhaenyra a whore and her children bastards to Rhaenyra's daddy's face, thinking that will sway Rhaenyra's daddy to his cause? I mean, I mean that's some idiotic stuff. In, Instead, Bayman should have been rallying the people of Driftmark around him. And after his brother was found too injured to rule, then pull off a military coup, uh, coup over Rhaenys, telling her to either uh, stay Corliss, had a change of heart, wishing Bayman to lead and join his side, or uh, she can perish. Then force a young Luke with no support of the Valerian people or Navy to attack the Royal Navy, to assert his authority, which would severely weaken the crown at best if he won, and could even lead to the downfall of the Targaryen line if he lost. Mm. Uh, you know, you have to call call the bluff based off of based off of power if that's what you really want. If only Vayman's mind was as fierce as his tongue, he'd be atop the Driftmark throne instead of bisected with his brain <laughs> flopping around on the ground of King's Landing. <laughs> You know what I want to call it now? What? He did a speed run of the Ned Stark playthrough. He did. <laughs> he did. Ned Stark's like, hold on, let me do some research here. Oh, let me investigate. Let me talk to people. You know what? <laughs> Let's bring this up to, to Cersei. I'm sure she'll be kind and understanding. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what you guys are both saying. So, Sir Raymond seems to have had a small guard he brought with him to illustrate his power, but they were not around him when he was throwing accusations. That right uh, there is poor planning. <laughs> <laughs> as far as Valerian blood run running the line, uh, he probably should have done the tried and true Rhaenyra method and just proposed to Jace in marriage and happily <laughs> ruled the kingdom. Or at least find a girl in, in his house to negotiate wedding Jace so he feels like his particular house has more control. Um, but that only he could be the one continuing the bloodline is weak when he doesn't seem to have children, like like you said, Sesh, of his own to continue his legacy after he is done ruling. So I don't think he should have. Like, you, you care about the bloodline, but you don't have kids. It is already, already obvious um, to everyone that it's just poor politics. So there is nothing to gain outside of humiliating the families that you are trying to negotiate with, like both of you guys were saying. Can I also bring up too? Yeah. There's literally the daughters. <laughs> They're still yeah. there. I know. They're still carried off. Like, the, come on, dude. I know. Well, Rhaenyra solved that. Oh, she already kind of got there. So it's like, okay, where's your strength here, man? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Alrighty, our bonus showrunner question before we get to audience questions. Yep, sounds is, good. Uh, did the patriarchy drive Rhaenyra and Allison to be rivals, as Miguel Sapochnik suggests, 
and in actuality, they truly love each other. Do you agree with Ryan Condal's assertion that we needed to see Alicent and Rhaenyra's children as kids, teens, and adults? Fetuses, possibly. <laughs> uh, you can go, Jonathan. I, you know, I, I think the idea is that this rivalry is entirely driven by the patriarchy is an extreme cop-out, as it almost makes Alicent and Rhaenyra's characters irrelevant. Well, you can have fathers that make poor decisions like Ceres and fathers who are power-hungry manipulators like Otto. It is up to their children, Rhaenyra and Alicent, to decide how they deal with that and choose their fate. And the only people trying to drive a wedge between Rhaenyra and Alicent are Otto, Laris, and Alicent herself. And only one of those three in Otto is part of the actual patriarchy. And for being so blatantly conniving and self-serving, he lost his patriarchal position only for Alison to seek herself another power-hungry, self-serving snake of a man in Laris <laughs> to kill off the new hand such that she could reestablish her dad back in his position of power such that she can basically be a mom with no interest in having any courtly authority or leadership abilities. So basically, this idea means that her failures as a character can be blamed on Viserys and Otto. And isn't that convenient? I mean, that's great, right? Nothing you do, well, you know, that's not your fault. It's these other people's fault. And, you know, even Rhaenyra, if we're looking at Rhaenyra in her own way, she did find her own path that didn't involve a rivalry with Alicent. So what we're seeing on screen to me is a major deviation from the showrunner's intentions then, if that's what, what he's thinking. As for the time jumps, Spending an episode each on Rhaenyra and Alicent's children as kids, teens, and young adults, I have no idea why this was necessary for the story. In fact, I think the only thing the child scenes have added to the storyline was the baby knife fight and Aemon stealing a <laughs> dragon. That's it. You know, everything else was pure filler and added nothing to the storyline. In addition, uh, the writers botched the introduction of these kids so badly it's, uh, sorry, it's true. It's hard to recall what their names even are without looking them up because most were mentioned, what, only once or twice in the previous seven episodes? There are so, so, so many better ways to handle this than having a time skip every freaking episode. It's, it's not necessary. It's obnoxious. And it makes the show feel like it's plotting and sputtering each episode, trying to get the viewer up to speed, only to restart from square one in the next episode. It's really the worst timeline and narrative management and decisions I've seen in a show. And quite frankly, I can't even think of a similar comparable show, even like schlock horror films. They have a better <laughs> better capture of timeline you know, than, than yeah. this. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we, we still don't know who these kids are. This is, again, why I wish the show started later in the story, like when Ray and Allison were already mothers, maybe. Um, I'm, I'm honestly not even sure yet how important these kids are. Um, it just seems like we're leaning towards them mattering more, but we're already so late into the season that it seems like it's just another thing that's not well thought out. As for Allison and Ray Ray, I wouldn't say the patriarchy of the story led to their feud, but the patriarchy of the writer's room did. Uh, their bickering was so <laughs> shallow. Like, like I mentioned before, they were both 
Like if, if there was something else there, like they were both pining for Night Cole or were actually mm-hmm. romantic before Allison was married off to, you know, Ray Ray's dad, <laughs> it, it really needed more. And it, it did feel a bit cliche that the girls were just bitter to each other and, and girl fight. Woo. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping that nonsense either gets more of a backbone now that stuff is about to get real for them or it just dissipates and actually finally goes away and they could be friendly again to fight other foes um, but that's again, it's hopeful on my part Yeah, I mean I think Allison has unfulfilled desires that cloud her general life experience I think at this point, some 20 years after her initial, I would call it work friendship with <laughs> Rhaenyra, uh the relationship <laughs> is a distant memory and in my mind, not this strong burning love for each other. I mean, I do think Allison wants a friend, but her options are slim as queen. I think Rhaenyra, uh has Damon and seven kids to keep her busy, so her focus on tween friendship is most likely not there. Uh, so as far as patriarchy driving a rivalry, I would argue if it weren't for the patriarchy, they wouldn't have even been friends. However, they weren't organic friends. In fact, Allison was always parentified and placed in a mother position for Rhaenyra. So really, Allison is more a disappointed child mom with longings <laughs> to live her own life. She never truly had an equal friend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how how they wrote it in the show, it seems it seems pretty forced. Yeah. And and I think you're you're spot on there. Um, bef- right before we get to uh, the questions, I did want to bring up one additional thing that happened right before the 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 show, the podcast that we're doing now. But apparently, Ryan Condal came out and said that there was a very important reason for the time skips, and basically, it's that they wanted to have some character development uh, instead of exposition. Um, in season one before the show actually starts in season two. And they got buy off from HBO to do that. So that sort of validates a lot of what we've been saying here on the show, because that means season one technically wasn't actually part of the plan or pilot for this. They just got an extra year to tack on ahead of time such that he didn't have to introduce characters in season two he could develop them, quote unquote, uh, using season one and a bunch of uh, exposition, um, of exposition <laughs> and time guys, skips. We'll totally develop these characters later. Just, you know, not right now. Oh, They'll be so wow. developed. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we'll see. I, I don't I don't have confidence that that's going to work out because what's <laughs> happening is they're just skipping all the character development. Yeah. And, like, yeah. again, just telling a bullet point story. Yeah, wow, it, 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 it is crazy. Like, like I've never heard of anything like this before. And that explains why everything is, is just jumping all over the place. There's no connectivity. It feels like separate stories in each episode that, that barely connect to one another. Done and, so much better even while doing that. Like, it's just if this was considered like a prequel season, like there's so much more we could know, like the, the kids' names and their faces. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a- absolutely. Absolutely. They they could have made this like a short run serial, yeah. you know, just to prep people like, you know, House of the Dragon is coming in 2023. <laughs> they could have just given us like a little recap. What's this house up to? And like given us like two, you know, episodes per house. Yeah, that I, I like that idea. Yeah. Oh, there's so many different ways they could have done it. I don't have confidence that season two is going to be very good, even though the episodes are in general gradually getting better and better, I feel like. 
All right, so we have a lot of comments and questions from the audience here, so we'll try and be a little bit quick about it, but I'm going through them. So Rebel Warren, he asked, what do you think about uh, the world building in this show or the lack thereof? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I would agree with the last part, the lack thereof. It's very, it was very uh, myopic, very heavily focused on small, like inside of castles, you don't really see anything. And, and then when you try to hear about the world, it's just a vague reference to the same battle. But no, like, oh, here's Westeros, here's these big sweeping places, Dorne, all that, like that we had in Game of Thrones. That's not there, like, at all. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I remember just really loving, like, you know, like, when we were, like, first introduced to the wall, for example, and it's just, like, they really, like, set you up being in that environment and just how different it is and how far it is and how cold it is and just, it almost felt like when we were in King's Landing, you can just tell by, like, just the lighting alone, like, it was just all the warm and, like, cozy. And yeah. It's such a contrast, like, everywhere else, and I am liking Driftwood a lot, and I'm liking mm -hmm. their culture a lot. I think that is really cool, and I would like to see more of it but yeah it just it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of different places right now you know honestly i i'm glad ryan condal said what he did before we we did this podcast because i think that's actually the answer is that they aren't trying to do any world building here hmm. like what they're trying to do is introduce characters and say these are going to be characters of importance this is where they came from so we can just start the season We'll build our world season two onwards and 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 go from there, which, I mean, it's wonderful that, uh, that they get the budget to do something like this. <laughs> say, it's like the preface that. that nobody ever reads before chapter one, basically. Right, right, <laughs> right. It's way too long. It's like half the book. <laughs> yeah, this is... this like, is. hey, what? I just finished the prequel? <laughs> yeah, this is... Prelude? Yeah. This is the 54-page introduction to <laughs> Fellowship of the Rings, uh, uh, written <laughs> not as well. <laughs> All right. Um, so we also have um, uh, Kyle going ahead and saying uh, that basically Damon is showing his love uh, for Viserys uh, by picking him up. Yeah, I agree. That's what they were trying to, 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 to show there, which, again... Uh, it seems like a take, uh, like in Damon's character, again, I mean, maybe seeing his brother's own mortality, maybe that changed him, but uh, it, it does seem like a departure from, from previous uh, well, uh, previous episodes. I, I would disagree. I would like, like I put it up before, um, I do think he actually loves his brother. I think there's really only the two people he loves, Ray Ray, um, and his brother. Yeah. Uh, so I, I felt like this was somehow miraculously something consistent with his character, even though it wouldn't <laughs> seem like with all his, you know, violence and murder and incest stuff. Um, but I, I felt like this actually was, you know, within his character realm and I, you know, I wasn't surprised to see it. It would have been nice if other characters were surprised to see it because none of them think of him like that, but you know, we could only ask for so much. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I mean, I think that's probably the only reason why he hasn't tried to take powers because he loves his brother. Fair, definitely fair. Uh, Kyle also uh, brought up that uh, Bayman's whole purpose there uh, in going and petitioning and saying what he said 
uh, was because uh, he wanted to weaken the crown and he was basically sacrificing himself, making a death run to, to mm. do it. Um, yeah, I mean, that is what it seemed to be based off of his comments after the show in terms of the actor. That seems mm -hmm. like how they were going ahead and, writ and writing it. Um, as a character, though, it's interesting because it seems like he already knew that the crown was weak, in which case it seems like he did have alternate methods than to do what has already pretty much already been stated on the, on, on the show. That would be my argument, is that he could go ahead and rally around support from, from Driftmark, claim the power as his own, mm -hmm. and say, okay, crown, take it from me. Mm -hmm. I dare you. Yeah, my, my thing is, like, the only reason this made any sense, like, just for a plot point to happen is if his brother is somehow upset with it and then things escalate because of the, you know, sibling murder. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Warren uh, says, does this cause a problem that they uh, made Ray Ray's uh, children so obviously not Lenore's children? Um... Do you want to take this one? Yeah, I mean, to me, I think in a lot of ways that was that was the point, mm -hmm. right? They're trying to make it so apparent that they're that they're not that it's almost farcical that that everybody's pretending that they are, you know. But at the at the same time, you know, I think it does follow uh, what Game of Thrones uh, showed is that I guess the uh, the uh, male uh heritage that that line really shows in the in in the genes mm. for 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 the, the people Baratheon. yeah but it also seems like even during that time you know uh, you got away with a lot if you were if you were royal mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it just mattered if you called them legitimate or not and i think even game of thrones made that distinction as 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 well and based on you know both Rhaenyra and Lenor saying that those were their kids, you know, it seems like, like they don't have a problem with it. So yeah, I guess, which is why the words mean so much to them. Yep. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay. So uh, bear UNLV says this was a great podcast episode. Really appreciate everyone's perspective. Hoping we don't have any more time skip and figure out Kristen Cole's skincare routine. It's the boar body wash. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I need to bring back that ad. I gotta, I get on, I gotta get on the phone. I'm like, listen, man, this stuff is selling like hotcakes. We need, we need another sponsorship from you guys. My question is, is it skincare routine? Since there's like not a whole lot of skin there. <laughs> oh. Oh man. Uh, but no, thank you, thank you, Bear. That was, uh, that was, uh, that was very nice to hear. We tried doing a good job. So. Um, uh, thank you. All right. So now to the last uh, part of the show is ratings. Uh, what would you rate this episode? So let us begin with me. I would rate this episode <laughs> a six because I thought in spite of its weaknesses for what it is, the show has managed to continue the tone it set in the previous two episodes. And it did hold my attention drama wise while still being overall lackluster compared to got Due to the unwieldy amount of time jumps, it did what it could. Well, thank Sesh. you, thank you for jumping on that on that sword right there. <laughs> Just cut the tongue right off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
maybe a six on its own. It's hard because I'm trying to give the number rating based on itself and not thinking of Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, so on its own, maybe a six, um, maybe a seven plus with, you know, just for the king bits. Yeah. Uh, his scenes were all good, even though I didn't like the ending, but that's um, that's for other reasons I'll, I'll get into. Uh, he was much better written and, of course, is doing so much more this episode. Um, I, this episode is just his episode. He's the star of it, and he made it better. Uh, he finally wasn't just some doof. He was, <laughs> was ill, but felt more like a king, and like you said earlier, like regal um, than he has before in a lot of ways, despite you know what he's going through. Um, I am not a fan of the ending with him almost two decades later bringing up this Aegon dream again, since it's been two decades since he's brought it up. Um, it's fine that he mixed up, you know, that it was a um, Ray Ray there and it was Allison. You, you know, yeah, you know. <laughs> um, but I'm also like, I'm really not a fan of Allison being, I would say, stupid enough to make the words of a man drunk on pain medicine into a final request, which is what they implied. Um, but we'll we'll see. There, it's just obviously she knows he's not the only Aegon of the bloodline mm-hmm. ever. It's just, it's, it's very, I'm going to be frustrated, I'm sure. Um, the other thing about this episode, um, the recasting of this episode, specifically Allison's sons, was not good. <laughs> uh, one kid looks exactly the same age as he did six years ago, and the other younger son looks like he's 25 years old. Um, so there are minus points for that. It's a great casting, you know, I think I could believe that that what that kid grows up to when he's 25 <laughs> uh, but yeah I mean at, at least for like um, these later episodes um, we didn't have any pull your hair out in frustration moments um, especially standalone episodes like there um, there are still a lot of like character contradictions that they still seem to be able to have in every episode but it feels way better than the earlier episodes yeah. Uh, before I get to my uh, to, to to my uh, rating, uh, two <laughs> two things that you brought up that I just have to comment on. Uh, uh, the first being, yeah, the uh, the song of ice and fire uh, a prophecy bringing up a, it, it again. It is somewhat laughable because we know how Game of Thrones already uh, already yep. ended, and we know that it ends up that this has no part in anything <laughs> that comes because Daenerys. Uh, you know, she didn't. She didn't know anything about this. So, in any yep. in any case, it's it's just weird. Also, I have to say, like, if they were doing that approach, which it seems like they were, where Allison misunderstands what the king is trying to say, they needed to make him like almost more angry, like like focused, like really focused on telling her, like Aegon is the savior, like right. like something something like this. He is. He is the prince who was promised, or or whatever. Because such a dream state. He was drunk. He was drunk off of the milk of the poppy. Right, right. Because I mean, as it is, I mean, come on. Like you have to really be trying hard as Allison to be like, oh, I think he means that my son must be king. You know, it's like, come exactly. on. Oh my gosh. Like he's clearly not making any sense. He's saying something you've never heard of before. He's basically saying random words. <laughs> She she originally like she doesn't even think that the Aegon he's talking about is uh, is her son. You know, it's like I I don't I don't buy that. 
Um, but the second thing is, I looked up the actor's age who who plays Eamon. Believe it or not, he's twenty years old. Oh, he's wow. he's just a really adult looking twenty year old. Twenty. Everyone else looks like they're under twenty. I like I'm, even if he's twenty, I could kind of believe that, but that still seems like it's too old for that young kid I, in this time skip with how old everyone else looks. I, I think it just doesn't match. I'm in agreement. I think that he would have been a better choice if they do another time skip like right. five years in the future yeah, i would go on two I, I mean because they have no problem hiring an actor for one episode and being like good luck kid you're aiming number four you know <laughs> i <laughs> um oh i'm oh, supposed yeah, to give review. ratings aren't i <laughs> a review i'm sure that's what everybody is still waiting on this podcast to hear is the intern's review that's great um you know, maybe I delayed because, again, I, I'm not sure what to make <laughs> of this episode. Uh, I will say I completely agree with, with Sesh on this. Uh, Maria said it earlier a little bit as well. I thought the King Viserys scenes were utterly fantastic. And uh, that petition hearing, by the way, uh, that was a straight up 9 out of 10 in my book. In fact, I think that might have been the best court scene, including Game of Thrones. I what? know, I know, even with oh, Tyrion on there. I liked it. Rewatch. <laughs> yeah, I, I really... I think we need to watch Game of Thrones again. Uh, probably. <laughs> but I, I, I really... It's a hot take. But I actually, <laughs> I actually really liked it because he was so on the ball. Like, like it's like he finally <laughs> yes. showed up. He's like, you know what? More than ever. I, I am going to actually be king for oh, one day. Oh. You know, before I die, such that my daughter doesn't look at me like like with that sad puppy dog look. You know, and uh, in fact, I'd say for this episode, if you just took the opening Vaymond and Raina scene and uh, all the Viserys scenes and you cut everything else out in this episode, I legitimately think this probably would have been a, a nine out of ten episode. Like, I would have thought it was really good. But then there's the repetitive expository dialogue about the illegitimacy of Rhaenyra's children. And there's the completely out-of-place Aegon rape scenes. And there's Alicent and Damon, both showing no character development whatsoever and behaving in contradiction now their characters were set up in previous episodes, at least in terms of their path. Oh, yeah, and then there's the ridiculous time skips and almost random recasting choices, and it, it, it just feels to me like these showrunners and writers just cannot get out of their own way. I mean, there's a story here, and, and I think it's a likable story. I've enjoyed the story part of the story, mm -hmm. but there's just too much everything else that just takes away from it, and, and all of these skips... It, it, it just really, really aggravates me. And, and I mean, it seems like the writers do every opportunity not to tell the story that's being, that's being told to instead focus on other things. So for me, uh, final grade, I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Um, I, I give it a 9.5 out of 10 for all the Viserys scenes and a 2.5 out of 10 for everything else. Um, that, that's just my take on it. Let's go to uh, our, our people uh, on the board, seeing uh, what they might rate this show. Uh, 
Oh, Warren, Warren says Ray Ray is 21. Oh, young Ray Ray was 21. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I, I think we talked about that actually in previous episodes that uh, we thought that she could have uh, she could have uh, been made to look a little older, but that they should have kept uh, kept with her. Okay. We liked we liked her as an actress. Yeah. I, I was a little surprised at her recasting. She had like such like a you know kind of like a unique face too. It was like mm-hmm. the you know the new casted person is a little less recognizable. They still look very similar, but like it's like. She looks like more like her mom did than like she did. Right. All right. Any last second uh, reviews, ratings for the show? One to ten? Going once? Going twice? <laughs> all right. Well, we're going straight to the outros then. <laughs> so, um, all thank you so much for joining us this evening and watching until the end. We know this isn't our regular scheduled day, which uh, I'm going to bring up again in a moment. <laughs> um, we really, uh, we really appreciate, uh, uh, we really do all, all your support. And um, honestly, uh, uh, we hope we brought you uh, some intelligent conversation and some laughs as well tonight. Um, and uh, really, uh, it's your support that makes this uh, uh, worth it because we don't do this just to entertain ourselves. Well, a little <laughs> bit, but you know. <laughs> um, so, again, if you like this show, please like, share, subscribe, and heart. Do those great likey things. And if you hated this show, please make sure to go out and you like this twice, as that'll show us. We have metrics. They keep it, it's in a big column, it says hate, you know, and it shows how many times you like this episode. And, uh, you know, we know that if you do that, there's so much more that we have to get done. And so you keep watching week to week, and we will make sure uh, that we start changing it to, to, to show that you can like more recently. So um, final words is, again, due to scheduling conflicts, I hate saying this because we are going to get on that Monday schedule. I promise you. I think this is the last one, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. This is the last time uh, where we're going to have a conflict on that Monday night. So our next episode will be on Wednesday, October 19th at 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern. All shows after that will go back to our Monday time slot. Okay. So for you regular Monday listeners, uh, hopefully this change in date won't be too problematic for you. That's right. So we go live on Podbean. That is Wednesday, October 19th at 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern. There will be a YouTube drop uh, likely a few hours after that. Um, uh, and in any case, uh, that said, um, we did rerun one of our previous unaired episodes from Game of Thrones on Monday. It might not have been scheduled as we uh, thought that it might be. Uh, so we're going to work again on doing that to try dropping another one of our unaired Game of Thrones uh, podcasts this week uh, on Monday at 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern. That will be both uh, here on Podbean, on YouTube. Um, on, uh, I know we have like seven other a different lot, things that we're connected to, uh, but I think, uh, you can find us, uh, wherever you want. Yeah. So, um, I guess, let me look if there's any last second comments from people. 
uh, just that they're liking the show. So we appreciate that. So um, until next time, could you do it better? (laughs) All right. Thank you, everybody. Holy, wow.